as Derek said, uh, I was here in June, and uh, usually uh, people don't have me back a second time, so... Um, uh, I was surprised when Carrie uh, uh, and Gary called me. And another surprise is uh, seeing Steve and Marnie and Derek and Courtney and, and uh, their kids. Uh, we've been a part of each other's lives for a long time now. And even though uh, you don't get to see each other every day or uh, life just takes you uh, to probably every corner of the globe, uh, uh because of Christ, we are brothers and sisters, and it's just like, uh, just like yesterday. And so, uh, I'm thankful uh, to be with you, and especially uh, to see uh, them and, and be uh, be a part of their lives again. Uh, so it's it's an excellent, excellent thing. Let me ask you a question. Let me get myself. It's a good thing I can make a living with my mouth, because if I had to with my hands, we would be in serious trouble. Uh, my mother used to tell me, boy, you go a mile out of your way just to stumble in a hole, and um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's about right. I, uh, uh, I think it's because my mind is always on heavenly things. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, let me ask you a question. What are you confident in today? Where, where are you placing your confidence uh, in today? You're probably pretty confident that if I went down uh, off the stage and sat in that chair, you're probably pretty confident that that chair would hold me up, right? Or the one that I was sitting in just a few moments ago. You're probably pretty confident, unless the screws are loose or, or those kind of things, that that chair would hold me up again. Uh, why? Why is that? Well, you just saw me, you just saw me sitting in it, right? Uh, you just saw me. Uh, so there's evidence that you can... Place your confidence uh, in that chair holding me up. What's, what's another thing that you might be confident in today? Can you be confident in yourself? Can you be confident in your circumstances? That your circumstances will always work out the way that you want them to. If you're placing your confidence in that, you might blow like the wind, wouldn't you say? Because sometimes you get a phone call in the middle of the night. Those people in Houston, I'm sure, three days ago didn't believe that they were going to have to wake up and evacuate their family and have no idea where to go. So if you're placing your confidence in your circumstances, uh, you might be anxiety-filled. or filled. You might, you might experience some anxiety about life. We as Christians, we get to place our confidence in something, or I should say, uh, someone else. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.6, that verse says, For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Let me read that, or uh, say that to you again. For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or continue it on until the day of Christ Jesus. So that verse tells us some things. Who is initiating the action in your life? Who, who is initiating uh, your spiritual growth? Who is for you and not against you? Who's initiating the action from that verse? Come on, this is Pentecostal church. Let's have a little... Uh, somebody help me! All right. Does that help you if I get that voice? I, I want you to know that God's not dead. He just doesn't like you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, does that help you if I get that voice? So, uh, from that verse, who's initiating the action in your life? Ah, 
And if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you all, how will he not also give you all things? So you can be confident that God is working in your life no matter what. Right? That's what that verse says. When's he going to stop working? Until when? Ah, until the day of Christ Jesus. That pretty much means from the, from the time you were born or from the time you were born again till the time he comes back or till the time you die, God is working. Now you can place confidence in that, can't you? Have you ever wished that God was a little louder? Have you ever, have you ever wished that, uh, that maybe he was into showing you more evidence of his working? But he, he likes that still small voice, doesn't he? I think that still small voice is a bit overrated if you ask me. Uh, but he is working and you can be confident in that. So that's my first point. God is initiating. God is chasing after you. He's coming after you. There's nothing that will stop him. Stop him. Nothing can separate you from him. Not nakedness, not peril, uh, not peril, not sword. Nothing can separate you from him. You can be confident that God is working in your life and he just won't quit even when you want him to. Even when you say to him, just leave me alone. He, he doesn't pay any attention to that. But what's he working for? What's the goal? What's the goal that God is working for? What's he, what's he trying to produce in your life? Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, we are basically con- uh, predestined. Now, don't get that word confused in your mind. Uh, we've kind of made it a theological uh, hodgepodge of information. Uh, what that uh, predestined word means in that verse is that nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop that from happening. Uh, predestined means uh, come hell or high water, come storm or sun, come dream or a good marriage or a bad one, uh, kids doing good, uh, kids not doing good, you're sick, you're healthy, those kind of things. No matter what happens, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's goal. Uh, you get to be like Him. 1 John 2.6 says, if you're, go- if you're going to say you abide in Him, you must do like He did. You must walk like he did. Now, what in the world can that possibly mean? What does it mean to be conformed to the image of, uh, of his son? Or what does it mean to be conformed to Christ or be like Christ? So much so that you can actually live your life the way he wants you to. That people would say, no, without the power of God, I know that that guy is a rascal. I, I, I know that he's not much. He's not much to look at. I look like the east end of a donkey going west. I, I get it. But the idea is when they see me, they see Christ. What it, could it mean to be conformed to the image of Christ? Well, I've, I've, I've put some thought into this. And I think it means that I can be motivated by the same things that Christ was motivated by. Remember the bracelet, what would Jesus do? I kind of liked it, but I kind of didn't like it because I don't know what Jesus would do. Living in 2017, would he go to the movies? Well, not if he's Pentecostal, he wouldn't. Uh, um, What would he do? I I don't know. But what if we added this little phrase? What would Jesus do if he were me? 
What would Jesus do if he were living my life? How, how would he be motivated? What was, what was Jesus' primary motivation? Love, love for God, first of all, right? And love for, uh, love for all of us. So Jesus' primary motivation, you could say, was to please the Father in everything that he did. John eight twenty nine, 29, uh, other verses like that. To please the Father in everything that he did. So does that mean that God is working in my life to conform me to that same motivation? That everything that I do could be pleasing to the Father? That means how I raise my, my children and my, my, grandch- my grandchild now. We're going to go see our grandson in a little bit. He's, uh, he's two uh, years old, and he is he's a sharp drink of water, that one. That means that the way I help raise him or grandfather him means that I, that I can do that in such a way to please the Father. The way, the way that I lead, love my wife. Now, you'd all say, if I said to you, it's a great goal to be a good husband, don't you suppose? Uh, none of you would go, nah, you need to raise your heights a little higher there. What's wrong with you? You would all say that it's a great goal to be a good husband, right? But I've been married 26 years. 26 times 365 days a year is a lot of days. And I just got to do that over and over and over again. And there are days when she doesn't cooperate with my greatness. She doesn't cooperate with my goal of being a good husband. She actually can make it sometimes difficult. But I got to do that. And believe me, I just getting up in the morning makes it difficult for her on me, uh, for me. I, I make it difficult for her too. I get it. But over and over and over again. I don't know, but sometimes I lose my motivation. But what if, there are, what if there is a way that I recognize that God is working in my life and I can be confident in my, uh, in my life uh, that he will help me please him by the power of the Spirit so that I can be a good husband to Melody. That the action of being a good husband actually pleases him. How about that? Is that enough motivation for you? Is it? It can be. And I have to admit, sometimes it isn't for me. I have to say to God, please help me. Because I'd rather her just be nice to me. Or I be just nice to her. Sometimes. Or how about being a good father? Or a good worker? What if you could understand that God is working in your life? And that you can be confident in that? And no matter what comes your way, and Paul's going to say it, He's writing to the Philippians, and he likes the Philippians. The Philippians like him. Uh, they, they supported him, and they are supporting him in, in ministry. And later on in that same chapter, he's going to say, there are people that are preaching the gospel out of selfish motivations. Uh, they're preaching it for gain. They're preaching it for platform. They're preaching it for power. They're preaching it for all kinds of different reasons. But in the middle of that chapter, he says, I don't really care. As long as Christ is preached... As long as Christ is preached, that's all I care about. So if your motivation is to please the Father, you don't have to worry about other people's motivations as much. And for some of you, that would be a great release. A great relief. Because you're always looking around. I wonder what that guy's motivated by. 
I wonder, oh, he's not as pure as me. What if you could just understand that the way you live can be pleasing to the Father? Let me ask you this. If God is conforming you to that and he's working every day, sometimes it's hard to see, but he's working every day. Can you be confident in that today? Yes. How about this one? Are you already pleasing to God? If you are in Christ, are you already pleasing to him? Say that a little louder. Yes, uh, yes, you are. Remember when Jesus was baptized? John the Baptist dunks him and puts him under, and when he comes up, you, you see evidence of the Trinity there, right? Because you see the Holy Spirit dove it comes down on Jesus, and the Father's voice says what? Mm. Had Jesus done a whole lot then? Just made tables, right? As far or made tables and chairs and took care of his mother. I mean, he hadn't cast out a demon or nothing yet. Hadn't turned water into wine yet, had he? Probably non-alcoholic wine, but he he hadn't he hadn't done that, right? And yet, God says to him, "This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased." So, can you believe that God is in a good mood when it comes to you? Hmm? I think you can. Does he like my behavior all the time? No. <laughs> no. And will he, will he pull me up short and convict me by the Holy Spirit? Yes, because I'm his son. And any good father that's worth his salt disciplines their son out of love. And I work with about... A hundred guys every day whose father was either absent or their friend. And let them do whatever they wanted to do. And now they're paying the price. Will God discipline you? Why? Because he's a good father. We sang it, right? He's a good, good father. Right? You can be confident in that. So, you can be confident that you're loved by God and that God is in a good mood when it comes to you. You can be confident that He's always working to conform you to the image of His Son. And it really doesn't matter if people are preaching out of bad motives or good motives or anything like that. And then in chapter 2, He says to you, uh, look, if you have any encouragement, if you have any joy, if you have, and He lists a whole bunch of things there, if you, uh, if you have any joy in Christ, if you have any encouragement in Christ, then be like Him. Then make my joy complete. Now, if, that little preposition there, he, he's kind of working them a little bit. He already knows the answer. If you have, do you have, are you, are you entitled to have joy? That's a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not generated in my circumstance. It's not generated because I always feel joyful. I'm kind of a glass-half-empty kind of guy, most of the time, sadly. But I can have some joy, can't I? Because where does that joy come from? Where does it originate from? Galatians chapter 5 and uh, 6 tell you that it's a gift of the what? A fruit of the what? Ah. So it doesn't even generate from me. It's mine because he gives it to me. 
so I can have some joy and be in a bad mood and not be schizophrenic. I'm schizophrenic and so am I. It's mine. I can have some peace even though the world around me is in turmoil. I can have some love that doesn't generate from my feelings. It generates from God. You can be confident in this kind of thing. So you're in Christ, right? So if you have some encouragement, if you have some joy, if you have some strength, then you get to act this way. You get to act in humility. Now what's humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's it's thinking less about yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. Humility is not inferiority. Sometimes we preach humility, humility and practice inferiority. Some of you, when you look in the mirror, you think, oh, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. When the talents were given out in heaven, you must have been on break. No, no, that's not it. Because my confidence comes from Christ. My confidence comes in God's ability to work through me. My confidence comes from Him. The trickle-down effect is that I know where my strength comes from, that I can humble myself before Him, and yet I can walk in confidence in His ability through me. I can stop trying to be you, and you can stop trying to be me, and I can develop the gifts and the talents that God has given me for the grace of Him and the the building up of His body. I can do that. And if I'm always walking around thinking that I got the short end of the stick all the time and comparing myself to others, what does that do uh, to me and to God's work in my life? It shrinks it. You can be confident that God has a plan for you. You can be confident that he is working in your life. The first time I ever spoke in front of an audience 35 years ago, my whole face went... I was so nervous. And when I shake, I I look like I'm storing nuts for the winter. I I got big cheeks. And now I can get up in front of you 35 years later. And understand that it's only by the power of God and by the strength of His Spirit that I would be standing here. And I can be confident in that. I still get a little twinge of nervous. I think that's probably wise though, right? I think that twinge of nervousness is God's gift to me. Now remember, boy, this ain't about you. It's about them and me. So you give them me and don't worry about yourself. That's what it means to be humble. I don't have to worry about myself. I'm free from myself. Thank God. (laughs) I'm free from worrying about how you're all going to respond to me. I'm free that I can love you well today in the moments that we have together. I'm free enough to do that. Because he who the sun sets free is what? Ah. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Mm. How about that? Wouldn't it be nice to be free from yourself? I think it's possible. And I think that's what God is working 
in your life. You get to die to yourself daily. You get to practice humility, and it is practice. I don't know if you'll ever arrive at humility. Oh, I got that character down just like that. I think you get to practice it. So at Teen Challenge, there's cars everywhere, and and I always get there pretty early. This is just my way of practicing it. There's always uh, parking spots up front. Uh, And I don't take them. I park in the back. It's my way of reminding myself, it's not about me today. It's not about me today. It's about you and about them. And if you have that attitude, do you suppose God will take care of you? Hmm? He'll give you life and life more what? Hmm. So for some of you, you have to start believing God, that God knows what he's talking about. It is better to be humble than prideful because he can lift you up then. Now his timing is always too long if you ask me. I know people say his timing is perfect. I, I know it. I know it. They say his timing is perfect. I don't know what planet they're living on. Now, looking back, it's perfect. I get it. But in the middle of it, I'm thinking, hurry up. Stop sitting on your hands. Let's go. Looking back, I see. I see it. Some of you, in order to encourage yourself, you need to look back. You need to remind yourself. You need to remind yourself of what God is doing and what God has done in your life. You need to look back. You need to spend some time. Remember. I remember when. You need to remember. So in the midst of this forest, in the midst of this storm that you're in, you will be confident in God. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. What time are you done? <laughs> oh, that's an open-ended right there. Yeah, maybe you should clo- uh, give me a little bit. <laughs> I'm teasing. Therefore, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, have you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See the word for there in verse 13? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That word for there connects it to what was just said. So for it is God makes what was just said in verse 12 possible. Because God is working, you can make an effort. Remember, grace is against earning. You don't earn anything. It's a gift. It's not against effort. You get to make an effort. You get to, you get to make an effort to become Christ-like in your life. And that effort is energized by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives where? In you. You are a temple of what? Mm. So it's not an outside thing working its way in. It's an inside thing working its way out. But I get to make an effort. I get to train myself to be godly. And I know that his divine power has given me everything I need. Everything I need uh, to be godly. And his promises have helped me escape the corruption of this evil world. So what promise are you depending on today to help you grow? 
even when your flesh doesn't want to. And I, I understand that my flesh doesn't like God and never will. There's a part of me that has an allergy toward God. I get it. I'm not surprised that I don't want to get up and have devotions. I'm not surprised that I don't want to witness. I'm not surprised at all anymore. It used to shock me. I used to go, oh, how can I even? Am I even saved? Oh, of course I am. That's where. That's why there's a war. Before I was, I, I was saved, I was sliding right down to hell and enjoying it. Are you surprised that your flesh doesn't want to get close to God? But what do you know about your flesh? The old man is what? Dead and buried. Now I understand that I can give it CPR. I, I, I can give my old man CPR. I'm pretty good at it. But his position in my life is dead. When we were in uh, Delano, you guys will remember this, maybe. Um, uh, the funeral home director and I were very, very close. Uh, I would do funerals for him uh, from people that uh, didn't have a church. He would call me, and I would go uh, do that funeral because it's a real easy place to preach the gospel because they know that I don't know the person, so I didn't pretend like I did. I didn't, I didn't pretend like I knew where his spiritual life was. I didn't pretend like I knew him. That was up to them. But I would always say, well, uh, this this person's uh, ability to choose where his spiritual life is is done. He, he's already made his choice. Uh, but you're still alive. So you still have opportunity to make a choice. This is an easy place to preach the gospel. So every time he would call and I could do it, I would. So we became friends. I was preaching on uh, Romans chapter 6. About being buried, our old man being buried with Christ and our new man being raised with him in, in life. And so I had, I had the funeral director drop me off a real casket on a real carrier Sunday morning. And he put it out in the lobby just like that. And uh, people came in and they were, they were a bit squeamish. Do you guys remember this at all? All right, so uh, they were a bit squeamish. Did you have a funeral here and they haven't gotten the body? I mean, it was... So I had, I had the ushers move the casket into the first Sunday school room. And when I wanted it, I just gave him the, gave him the motion. So I'm preaching away about dying to self and being buried and blah, blah, blah. And they, they, I motioned for the casket in. And the head uh, usher that day, he's got a grin from ear to ear. And I should have known... I should have known something was up, but I, I, I didn't catch it. And they put that casket right down front. And I'm preaching away. And uh, I, I go to lift the lid because I was going to, you know, um, talk about that. I go to lift the lid, and those rascals, they had talked a teenage kid into getting into that. <laughs> and, and they broke some pencils off. And so the lid wouldn't come down on him and suffocate him. So when I lifted that lid, he sat straight up. And went, and went, whoa! <laughs> we just canceled church. Women screamed, uh, uh, scared, the, scared the world out of me. And uh, I, uh, I just said, we're done. Uh, leave your offering at the door. We're, we're out of here. Uh, now, I understand that the old man, 
your old nature, if the right buttons are pushed, he, st- he still feels very alive. Right? I-, I get it. But you can be assured, you can be confident that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that now dwells into you, gives life to your mortal body now. Not your flesh, not your old mind, not the way you were raised, not your religious background, but the Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now gives life to your mortal body. That's where you get your strength from. Are you alive spiritually today? If you have Christ, you are. And you need to quote that promise. You need to say it. You need to speak it. That the old you is dead and the new you is alive. And that's who you are. Can I get an amen from somebody? Back to Philippians. So God is working, but you need to make an effort. And God will help you make the effort. You need to train yourself. I know you can't tell it, but I work out almost every day. Uh, I've become a full gospel preacher. I get it. I'm big in the ministry. You can always tell a man's on the level when his bubble's in the middle. I got. I, I'm here all day. I'll, um. You can train yourself. You have the equipment, don't you? You have the word. You have love. You have the Spirit of God. You have a transformed mind. You have the promises of God. You can begin to train yourself to be humble, to be Christ-like. And you know that God is helping you. And you can be confident in that. And you're not the same old rascal that you used to be. You might have episodes of the same rascal, but you're not him or her. So Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again as a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, the manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There's the piece that I'd like you to get. I don't, have to put, I don't have to put primary confidence in my own ability anymore. Uh, I am not the primary source of my success. I am not the primary source of my spiritual life. I am not the primary source. And Paul is saying to you, you can, you can approach your Christian life this way and have confidence in your own ability and confidence in your own talents and confidence in uh, even being spiritual. Some of you are so overly concerned about your own spiritual life. That's what you focus on. You don't focus on Jesus. You focus on how you're growing and trying to put confidence in that. Well, I did well today because I had my devotions today. I did well today because I helped that old lady across the street. I did well today because I didn't swear when I, when I stubbed my toe or banged my finger. This is saying to you, don't, don't do that. Don't put confidence in your own talents. Don't put confidence in your own ability. You get to glory in Christ Jesus. That's who you get to be confident in. And then it all trickles down from there. Seek first the kingdom of God and His what? And what will be added to you? Ah. You get that backward and you're messed up. 
Seek, <laughs> seek God. Submit to God. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's my next point is you get to place your confidence in God. You get, you get, you get to place your confidence in God. You get to uh, understand that he is working and now you get to submit to God. You get to agree with him more than you disagree with him. You understand that the place of agreement is the place of power, right? But I bet you, for some of you at least, if you looked over your last 24 hours, you disagreed with God more than you agreed with Him. No wonder you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. How many of you got little kids in your... Not too many of you, unless you started late. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things they do is try to... Divide and conquer, right? Well, mom said, no, dad said. They try to get you to disagree with one another. Why? Because the disagreement is a place of weakness. What I'm trying to say to you is, you can agree that I don't have to put confidence in my own ability anymore. Primary confidence in my own ability. I don't, I don't have to do that. I can die to that. And I can glory in Christ. And I can agree with God. Because he says, uh, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons to do so. And he lists a whole bunch of reasons. And then he gets to verse 12 of chapter 3, and I'm almost done. Not that I have already attained all of this or already have made, been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the high prize for which God has called me heavenly. And we already said that the high prize is Christ-likeness. 